like that song a lot for a number of reasons. But yeah, it, it makes a nice contrast to what I think can often feel like our, our lives can often feel like, which is we're, we're convincing ourselves that what we're doing is right and we've grabbed onto something, latched onto a pursuit, an activity, a cause, something, we're throwing ourselves into it and then you get those moments where we go, maybe this isn't it. it, it just when you think the, the clarity has come by what you've pursued, you think, well, maybe I've wasted my time in this. Maybe I'm going the wrong direction after all. As, as Kurt said, one of the things that we thought through this last week and so altered the message some was to answer this question, what if I never figure out what I'm called to? Let's, let's say it's true. Let's say it's true that I have a calling that I'm made for a specific person. What if I never figure that out because I haven't figured it out yet? It's remained elusive. And I would say for many of you, perhaps this is not your fault that, that's that, that it's happened. Circumstances have conspired in, in such a way to make it difficult for you to pursue things that you would have longed to. You know, sometimes you just got to get a job, don't you? And job and calling are not the same thing, but we often think they are. But sometimes you just got to get a job and sometimes you got to deal with life as it comes before you. And so perhaps that time and energy or space to figure out your calling has been difficult. I guess what I'd say is it's still before each and every one of us. I think it's a lifelong process. This message today will feel different than most of my messages and that it will be highly practical. I tend to like to nuance things and we have difficulty tying things into a bow at Warehouse. We don't like to tie things into a bow because we find that usually pretty simplistic and calling is a massive issue and so I don't think at the end of this you'll find that I've tied it into a bow but I'm going to give some real, try to give some real clear tracks to run on to both understand what calling is and how do we understand what our specific calling in life is what's the process H- how do I get on that and, and to open that up we'll look briefly at a passage in the book of Exodus and this series is being framed by one passage in the Bible and it's the story in the book of Exodus which is the second book in the Bible it's the story about Moses being called to lead uh, the people of Israel out of Egypt. And as I said last week, he argues with God a lot about all sorts of things as this call comes to him, as God invites him into an activity. And at the end of last week, I read you just one verse where he said, Moses answered after God had said, look, I'm going to use you. Moses had essentially said, look, God, it sounds like a great idea, this whole delivering the people thing. I'm just not sure it's me. And Moses answered, what, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? In other words, what if I'm not called? And this is the answer that God gives him. And the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and turned it back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe the Lord, the God, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. I mean, really, it's, it's a very interesting situation. Moses is saying, God, not me. Why would anybody believe that I'm called? And so he says, throw that staff down. And Moses obeys, and it turns into a snake. And Moses runs for obvious reasons. It's a snake. You know, there's both the fact that it's a snake and it was a staff. 
So, you know, you got two freaky things, the natural and the supernatural freaky thing going on before him. And so he does what smart people do. He runs. And then God says, now pick up the snake by the tail. At least he didn't say pick up the snake by the head. That would have seemed a bit much. But he said, okay, Moses, the thing you're running from, the thing you're afraid of, for obvious reasons, go pick it up. Yikes. Really? Could we have it turn back into a staff first and then I'll pick it up? Although I'm not really sure I want to pick it up again because I don't know what's going to happen to it next. He says, go pick it up. Why? There's a certain, at least what it says to me is there's, God calls us to engage in the process of determining our calling. He, he's, he's calling to us. See, the whole concept of calling is it's not something we're creating on ourselves. It's, it's somebody outside speaking to us and telling us what our purpose is. It's very different from trying, as I said last week, a, a cause or an ambition. And I think we spend a lot of our times crafting, as best we can, crafting what we think we're supposed to do and who we're supposed to be, and that's quite understandable. Calling's a different thing. Coming from outside, God's saying, I, I have something for you that I want you to, to follow, to, to do, and to be. But you're going to have to participate in the calling process. And so, pick up the snake. He has to face his fear and move forward. And, you know, fear, I think, is one of the more dominant emotions, uh, elements of the human condition. We pretend it's not, but it is. There are things we are afraid of. Some of you know your sense of calling and are afraid of what that means to move into it. And many has said today are afraid you'll never understand what your calling is. And so what I want to do today is I want to walk through what calling looks like in three different ways. And I'll just be straightforward with you. The, you want, you're wanting to, me to get to the third one. I understand that. But I'm going to tell you the first two because I think they're terribly important. And then we'll get to the third one. Okay. The three parts of calling are this. You are called to love the people that God places before you. A big part of your calling as a if you are a follower of Jesus, is to love the people around you. This is what it says in the book, I'm gonna, and I'm going to flip through several different books of the Bible on the way here today, too. I'm reading one verse from the book of Galatians, which is a book that uh, Paul, one of the early founders of the church, wrote to a church in Galatia in the first century. And this is what he says to him, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. And, and after that, it'll say, look, the entirety of the law, the whole of the Old Testament can be summed up by this. Love your neighbor. A, a primary calling. In other words, from outside of ourselves, telling us who we're supposed to be is that we love those in our path, those that God places before us. That is what it means at the first level to be a called person. Because you see, what calling initiates with, calling's a relationship. You know, there's, there's a conversation going on, and the relationship begins with us and God. God calls us to himself first. The word call is used throughout the Bible to indicate this process whereby God is speaking to us, and he's bringing us back to himself. We are first and foremost called to be uh, found in a relationship with Jesus who loves us without limit. And when we receive that, job one becomes now. I want you to, in your freedom... And the forgiveness that you now know, I want you to love those that are before you. To love your spouse. To love your kids. To love your parents. 
to love your friends, to love your co-workers, to love the crazy person down the street, to love the people in the church, to love the one who's sitting two rows in front of you. You're called to love the people around you, to see your life as a channel for care and compassion to go out to others. That is primary. It is job one, and every one of us has that opportunity where we are. And quite honestly, it's among the more difficult things to do. I would prefer to talk about my gifts and abilities and focus on them than actually have to love other people. And I, I, it's a knockdown, drag, a knockdown case I can make to you that it's very easy for somebody to live in what they would say is their calling and not care about anyone else. That's why the passage is often quoted in, in weddings in 1 Corinthians 13 says, look, you can move mountains, but if you don't love other people, so what? You can have gifts and ability and talents and passion, but if you don't love other people, that is not living out a calling from the God of the universe who loves you. That's job one. The second part of what it means to be a called person is that we are called in specific, definitive, discrete periods of time to serve others. What I mean by that is every one of us is called to serve at times in ways that we don't say, this is a perfect fit for me, but it's what is before us. And as somebody who's been served by God and our hearts are being transformed, it is a part of what it means to live the called life, is to serve others. And I'm going to read to you a passage in a book called First Peter. And First Peter was not written to Peter. The others were written to churches. It was written by Peter. And it was written to a general letter to the church. And as he's talking to leaders, this is what he says. Be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, serving as overseers. Not because you must, but because you are willing. As God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve. A primary component of the called life is a willingness to serve because there are needs. Some of you serve in kids' warehouse not because you've spent years figuring out the core of who you are, but there's a need, and it's before you. And so you step into it. Part of being a called person is simply living in the exigencies of the moment and serving where the opportunities are before you. When I started the church years years ago, there was myself, Nan, Abby was two, and Evan was brand spanking new, and we hadn't even really thought about Mason yet. And that's it. And so we started the church, and we had to do things like move chairs, and our garage was the storage unit for the church. We had to move chairs, and we had to set up sound equipment, and we had to make coffee, and we had to show people where rooms were and we had to set up signs every Sunday. We, we needed people just to do that. And so I had some people come to me and there were leaders that had been leaders in another church and one of them came to me and said, I'm really called to teach. And I said, that's great. Can you teach some people how to set up chairs? <laughs> I didn't. Um, you, you know, you can always think of the better comeback later. <laughs> I didn't, but he was, in, I was trying to sort of work with this and, you know, because I don't know if I mentioned this. We didn't have any people. So to have some people who wanted to help, well, that's great, but it's not what we needed. And in my opinion, he allowed his sense of what he was supposed to do to trump the actual need that God had placed before him, which is that we needed people. This is what we had. We had me 
and, and Nan. So I was talking, and she's running stuff, and we had a band, and that's it. I really didn't need any more teachers. I needed somebody to set up chairs. It was what was before him. And I think every one of us can have those moments where the need is before us, and we can wriggle out of it. That's not my calling. A great example is this, this parable Jesus tells of the prodigal son. I do not believe, and if you know the story, Good Samaritan. Okay, two religious people walk by a guy bleeding by the side of the road and go, uh, gotta go. And a good a Samaritan, who they were considered outcast, walks by, picks the guy up. He's bleeding. Takes him to an inn, has him taken care of him, says, you take care of him. Here's some money, and if you spend any more than that, I'll come back and I'll give you, the re- I'll give you some more money for that. Okay, that's the story. That was like, whew, story. Anyway, so... I don't believe that Jesus was teaching that the Good Samaritan's calling in life was to care for bleeding people. He was not going, oh, I'm supposed to be an EMT. There was somebody bleeding by the side of the road. Now, what's really interesting, Jesus is very clever when he tells stories. He's got two religious people going by, and they're going, I don't do bleeding people. I preach. And the Good Samaritan goes, he's bleeding. He needs someone to pick him up, and I'm here. The need is before me. Let me pick him up and care for him. I'll tell you, a a big part of living as a called person is being awake to God in the midst of your everyday life, knowing that my calling is to serve and care for other people as God has cared for me. When something happens at work, to a co-worker and you come alongside and care for them. That's living out your calling. When something happens in your street and you wait in, that's living out your calling. There's, good, there's people lying by, by the side of the road all the time. Okay, those are the first two. Like I said, you really want to get to the third. I mean, to be a called person means to, to love those in your path. It means to serve in the needs that are before you, but Finally, I do believe that you have a specific calling in your life for a number of reasons. One, God doesn't do generic. He doesn't make cookie-cutter people. He makes us specifically. And then there's that really powerful verse that we read last week in Ephesians chapter 2, which says, For you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus with good works, which God prepared beforehand for you to walk in. For you are God's workmanship. Something that's crafted is made for a purpose and a very specific purpose and as you walk through the Bible you will see God deal specifically with people and mold them and shape them for what's before them there is a verse in the book of Acts the book of Acts is the story of the the early church it was written by Luke who wrote the gospel of Luke one of the stories of Jesus and here is a passage in the midst of a message that somebody has given that it, to me is just so, um, it's like white hot. For when David, speaking of King, King David in the Old Testament, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. I think I would feel really good if on my tombstone at the end of my days it would just say, for Bruce served God's purpose in his own generation. And then he went to sleep. God had a purpose for David. He has a purpose for you in this generation. So how do we figure out what that is? 
Well, you'll, in this next section of the message, you will notice me with tangents all over the place. They're intentional tangents. Just understand that. First tangent is this. I'm going to talk to you about how I think we discover what our calling is. And it's a process. It's not a fine... T- it's a process that we have to engage in. But I want to make really clear up front, calling and vocation are not the same thing. Sometimes it works out that way, but calling and vocation are not the same thing. I, I know people who would say they're, the purpose of their vocation is to make money so that they can give it away. And God has given them the ability to make a lot of money. And they like their job. They like it fine. It, it fits them well, but it's not their calling. It's what they do. And they use what they do for another purpose. That, that's sometimes what it is. Sometimes your job is something you can do and you're good at, but it's simply what you, it's, what you do. It's a vehicle to get before other people. It's not your calling, that actual work. And sometimes the two mesh more, which is the calling, your purpose in life fits with your vocation. But they're not hand in hand. In the course of this process, what I'm going to encourage you is to take these four things and to do something with them. To help you then have a platform to come before God and say, God, what are you calling me to do? Okay. There's, it's really a matrix of four things that come together that I think help us to understand who we are called to be. And that is your strengths, your, your person, your personality, who, who you are, your passions, and your experiences. And, and these four things placed in the context of a, a, a conversation with God about them Place in the context of self-talk, you sort of figuring these things out, and place in the context of community help to helps to bring out this sense of who am I and what am I called to do. And I'm going to walk through some of these a, a little bit. Strengths. You know, a, a big part of understanding what you're calling is is discovering this. What are you good at? What do you do well? Where, in fact, do your strengths lie? Again, I'm making this point clear. Vocation and calling are not the same thing. However, when I was in This this is my story. I I was trying to figure out whether I would be a lawyer or be a a pastor. And my trajectory had been toward law. And I was enrolled at the University of Virginia Law School, and I deferred it to go to seminary for one year, just for one year, in order to figure out essentially what the Bible said, because I didn't really know. And and then I was going to go back to law school. And when I started to work with youth, I got so engaged by it, and I started to want to do that. And, And so... I went to one of my professors and I said, I'm, I'm sort of torn here between being a lawyer and going into the, the pastorate or youth ministry. And his answer so surprised to me. He said, you're thinking of going into full-time ministry. I said, yes. He goes, are you any good at it? I, I mean, I was so caught off guard by it. He's a seminary professor. He was supposed to go, yes, of course, don't do something like law. Go into the ministry. Everyone should. He was right. He was like, wait a minute, are you any good at this? Seriously. He, what he said to me is, I think, from what my, my understanding of you, you would be a good lawyer. You'd be very effective. And you've got an opportunity before you. I, I don't know yet if you're any good at this ministry thing. And what he was saying is, please, please do not do this if you're not any good at it. Do you have any strengths in this area? So often I think we pursue things because we think it's a good idea or what we ought to do or what somebody else told us to do, and we're not even any good at it. I'm good at like three things. I'm bad at a lot. And I strongly believe that the, the, the teaching of this guy named Marcus Buckingham, he's a Gallup pollster, 
essentially says, look, you've got to take your strengths, you've got to understand them, and you've got to feed off of those. Deal with your weaknesses. Try not to let them screw up the rest of your life, but do not live out of your weaknesses. Figure out what you're actually good at and try to live out of that. Big part of calling is first trying to have this sense of what am I good at, and it's best understood in the context of community. In other words, if you're wondering, if you're sitting back going, I'm really not even sure what I'm good at, ask some people who know you. What am I good at? What are my strengths? What would you say if there was two or three things you'd say, these are the things you do well, what would they be? The second part of this is, is your person, who you are, your personality. See, I'm an introvert. It is what it is. I'm an introvert. It's neither good nor bad. It's what it is. I'm an introvert. I'm a very non-detail-oriented introvert. I can play the role of an extrovert if I need to. In fact, people often think if they don't know me that I'm an extrovert. I am not. I'm an introvert. And I've had to figure out what that looks like for me to live my life as somebody who's an introvert who gets, who needs solitude. Most would argue that I can't play the role of somebody who's detail-oriented even if I try. <laughs> but I do try. Because, as the words of a counselor once said to me, you've got to make sure your deficiencies don't screw up the rest of your life. So, anyway, I've got I to work at that. But I'd be very wary if, if, if let's say if I was thinking, if somebody said, Bruce, I want you to... Um, let's say I'm a lawyer. Let's say I went that way. And somebody said, I want you to be the administrator for our homeless ministry. Inside of me, this thing should go off. Beep. You can't do that. You're terrible as an administrator. You could say, I'm, I'm willing, but how much catastrophe do you really want in this area? I think Kurt is, Kurt is right, and so is Nietzsche. I think us understanding who we are is extremely difficult because we have voices telling us different things. And and some of you have in your head visions of who you want to be. Dangerous, dangerous path to take if you're going to try to figure out calling. You've answered the question, who do I want to be? Who do I want others to see me at? What is my public self that I want to be known as? And it's not actually you. It's just your idealized notion of who you think you ought to be and what, would you, what you think would present well to the world around you. If you seek to understand your calling through that vision of yourself, it will be rocky. This is a lifelong process. Understanding who we are, really, at the core. A third part is figuring out your passions. It's answering simply this question, what do I love to do? What do I love to do? What energizes me? Some of you are energized by doing details. You actually love to do it. Some of you are energized by serving people no matter what the thing is about, as long as you can care for other people. Some of you here are passionate about homeless ministry. God has used it to grip your heart and it's something that you love to weigh into. Some of you are passionate about finances and helping other people figure that out. What do you love? And a lot of times you can figure that out by looking at your past, you know, a past life. It sounds like I'm, you know, talking reincarnation here. Earlier life. What are you passionate about? What do you love? Be very wary of determining your calling outside of what you love. Why? Because God makes us intentionally. And it is a 
rather bizarre God who would make people say, I'm calling you to do something you don't actually like. It brings no delight and joy to you. See, that's like, that's bad fundamentalistic religion of Christianity. You're not supposed to like it, just do it. You're called to do things that are like fingernails on a chalkboard. God is a being of infinite delight who delights to see us freed to do what our heart booms when we do. So what do you love to do? And how do your ex- figuring out how your experiences play into your calling. And experiences play into our calling two different ways. One of those is our experiences often tell us what we like and what we're good at. They often inform the top three things. They often inform our, what we're good at, what, uh, who we are, and what we love. But experiences also shape us. And sometimes they help determine who we are. It, it, this will be quick, quick philosophy. I'm, I'm a, what's called an essentialist in philosophy, which means I believe there's an actual you, that you are not simply the product of your experiences. There's an actual you. But I believe that actual you gets shaped by your experiences. And because if you've put your life in the hands of God through Jesus, God uses that shaping to mold you and to create you and to craft you into a certain type of person. So often your experiences will give you insight into the person that you are becoming. And in the process of these things, validated and discovered through conversation with God, through introspection, and through community, we get this sense of, this is the sort of thing that I'm called to do. In other words, here's what I'm, I'm asking you to engage in a process this week. If you wonder what your calling is, I'm asking you to engage in the process of beginning to explore these things. But what I don't expect is for, don't try to do this. Don't try to go, my calling is to do this particular thing. Don't, don't go there yet. Only try to figure out what sort of person are you? What sort of things would fit with your calling? And then, that you place before God and listen for what he leads you into because he will lead you into things that fit who you're called to be. As I said, we try not to tie things into a bow. I've not tied this into a bow for you today. However, there's a process of engagement. Truly understanding our calling is a lifelong process. It, it, it develops. And we have more and a greater sense of what my purpose is in this generation as we go on. But to go back to the story of Moses, he threw the staff on the ground, it became a snake, and Moses had to pick it up. The pathway for every one of us, understanding and living out our calling, is to pick up the snake. To wade into that fear that I'll never know my calling and begin to explore because you see fear does one of two things legitimate fear legitimate fear either makes you move away or move toward you either attack it or you do what Moses did at the beginning you run from it many of you have a legitimate well grounded fear that your calling has never been found or you wonder if you can find it what I'd say is that that legitimate fear can often lead to resignation or it can lead to action. Together as a community, what we want to foster is the ability for all of us to take action, to engage, 
and discover the fullness of what God called us to be. And then I think we will get to the end of our days and we will say, as a community, as individuals, we serve God's purpose in this generation. Let's pray. Lord, would you lead us as a people to understand more of what it means for us to be called? Help us to grasp the first things, the things of primacy, that we are called because of the love of Christ for us, we're called to love other people, that we are called to serve what is before us in the moment. But I do pray because, Lord, I know you don't make generic. I pray that you would show each one of us what it looks like to understand specifically who we are called to be in the midst of this generation. How that happens. Whether it happens through vocation, next to vocation, outside of vocation. Would you, I'm praying, Father, that you would speak the words of your call to each one of us. That we would hear you reaching out to us and leading to a sense of movement. We pray all these things with great hope because you are the initiator. In Christ's name, amen.